0: we're going to begin our Christmas series and this is always the most fun series for me to preach I enjoy it I enjoy talking about what it means to celebrate Christ in a fresh way and to invite him into our holiday so turn with me over to the book of Luke we're gonna start this year highlighting some people who surrounded Christ's ministry and his coming. And we're going to look at John the Baptist. And the entire series is called Preparing for his coming. Preparing for his coming. Luke chapter 1, verse 80. Luke 1, verse 80. Speaking of John, it says, And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel Lord help us as we study John the Baptist was a relative of Jesus Elizabeth and Mary were relatives Elizabeth happened to be John the Baptist's mama Mary the mother of Christ we don't know how close they were But back then it really didn't matter, meaning if you find a fifth cousin, you barely related in America. You're just trying to figure out, okay, your relative is so-and-so, yeah, I guess we got a little bit of the same blood on the inside of us. But in Israel, they didn't have any word for cousin. And so if you were a relative, say, the son of your father's brother, you were considered a brother. So whether they were fourth or fifth cousins didn't matter. It was like they were sisters and related to one another deeply. We know they lived in the same area. And John and Jesus probably grew up together. We do know that John was six months older than Jesus because Elizabeth was six months pregnant when Mary got the news that she was going to have the Christ child. They probably went to the feasts together. Caravanning with the rest of the people from the region of Galilee and Judea down to Jerusalem Hung out with one another Because both Elizabeth and Mary knew that their children's lives were going to be intertwined Elizabeth knew that her son was to prepare the way for Mary's son And Mary knew that her son was to have John in his in, in the beginning of his ministry In order to bring proclamation and legitimacy to his ministry You see, if you were the Messiah or a king uh, you couldn't just print business cards and say I'm here a king always had to have an independent objective public pronouncement from God's representative on the planet who happened to be a prophet John was that prophet and John was instrumental in seeing Jesus begin his ministry because when Jesus came to the river Jordan and that to be baptized by John John looked at him and said I need to be baptized by you. I I mean, when we were growing up, I realized some stuff, but I didn't realize fully that you are who you are now, and I would rather be dunked by you than you by me. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. This has to be done this way to fulfill all righteousness. Though Jesus may have been able to trump the moment and say, you're right, and been entirely right to say, you're right, he realized, John, you're the prophet. Here are all these people at the River Jordan. They need to know that you believe I am who I am and who God sent me to be. So do what you do that we might fulfill the right way of me coming into my rulership. These two were friends as well as ministry partners. And we can learn something about John the Baptist... and and when we do, we can learn something about maybe what it means to allow Christ to come into our ministry what it means to prepare the way for him to come into our lives, our family, our business that if John the Baptist had to do some things to prepare the way for Jesus to come maybe we ought to do some things now if we want him to, to, to come in a way, just like he came to everybody else in Israel, by surprise, they had really no clue. And they didn't find out, many of them, until he had died and rose again. Okay, you, you, can, you can live that way, but I would rather make the on-ramp to Christ ministry in my life easy. And I want there to be an expectancy that you come and an invitation on my part, that you come into my life willingly. I desire you here. I don't want you to have to invade. I don't necessarily want to be surprised, though if you want to give me some good surprises, that would be okay. I would rather that there be a participation in my faith, in your receptivity in my life. And it says three things that, that happened to John says one, he grew, two, he was strengthened in spirit and three, he lived in the desert until the day of his appearance. Let's talk about number one, he grew. He definitely grew physically, became a man but he also grew in character and I am I am unfortunately too often amazed at how people only grow in one way though they might be Christian they get older but they don't get any better I'm surprised by that though I should not be because sin is so pervasive in people's lives and very rarely is it the, the, the Christian that I find who knows how to check it on a regular basis they pretty much accept That this is the way life is and failure is a part of my inheritance because I am human. And this is what all humans do. They fail. Very rare is it to find a person who says, no, no, no. Sin is not supposed to be a part of my future. I'm supposed to have more victory than I do defeat. And I choose to live my life in obedience to my God. Very rare is it to find somebody like that. You get older but you may not get any better. And if there's anything I'm trying to do in this church, as much as we need to be a hospital, a triage, a place where you, if you are sick in your relationship, if you're sick in your body, if you're sick in your finances, if you're sick in your theology, you can get healthy here. As much as I want that, I want you to get better in the areas of obedience to almighty God. I want your soul to get better, not just your body. I want you to become the kind of person that can emulate who Jesus is in your character. I want you to grow in here, not just up here. I want you to get big. And all of that bigness on the inside is about character. John had to have a lot of character. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. The man built the biggest ministry in 500 years. Malachi was the last guy who had anything to say that was worth recording in scripture. Almost 500 years earlier, nobody had come with such influence to be able to say, This is a prophet from Almighty God, and we need to write this down for antiquity and for posterity. John was it, the most significant ministry in the last 500 years to such a degree that everybody was asking him, Are are you the Messiah? Nobody's ever asked me that. You get my drift? I, I, I could never be confused with that. John had to continually tell people, no, I'm not him. He was that great. Folks, <laughs> he was out preaching in the, in, in the middle of Manasseh's battlefield on a Sunday morning and was emptying churches. on a december sunday morning are you listening to me this man could talk he could say that word that's how great he was out of the wilderness where people had to walk for days just to hear a man hollering talking about god it was amazing and then jesus shows up john had built this ministry for months maybe a couple of years Thousands upon thousands of people coming. And then Jesus shows up. And he realizes who he is. And he says, oh, John says, uh, okay, well, it's your turn now. Uh, you 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 must increase, and I have to decrease. You see my staff here? You can take them. You, 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 see, you see my ministry? You can have it. He gave it all the to Jesus. Every bit of it, gone. Who does that? At the, not when you can't do it anymore. Not when you've lost your preach. When your strength is gone. When you no longer have the ability to throw the fastball. Not that anymore. We're talking about when you are, when you are humming at 102. Any of y'all know baseball? When you are throwing BBs. And people are just going, wow! That's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. You got to come and hear this, dude. When you are at the height of your ministry, you say, here, John had to have some character. That's not anointing, y'all. Anointing is the ability to do everything he did to gather the people. Character is to say, I don't care whether I keep it or not. All I want to do is prepare the way for my God. If I get no recognition, it it doesn't matter. If nobody ever knows my name, that's fine. All I want to do is make him happy. That's all I want to do. John didn't just grow in stature with respect to height and get older. He grew in his soul. Something on the inside, his character, just got bigger. And I'm begging you, love the fruit of the spirit for those of you who do not know what that is it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control against these nine things Paul says, there is no law you can have as much of this as you want If you run out of love for somebody, take another bite of fruit. Have as much as you want. You run out of peace. Anxiety just fills your soul. Fear just runs over your mind and you can't. There's no stop sign for it. Go ahead. Take another bite of peace. You can have it. There is no law against how much character you can have. As much as you want. And I'm convinced that Paul used the metaphor there. Of agriculture, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, because he was hearkening back to another time when God made Adam and Eve, and he told them, I put you in this garden, knock yourself out. From any tree you may freely eat. I make no law against any of them except the one in the middle. Don't touch that one. But everything else, you could camp out at the apple tree and eat all day, all day long if you want. Have as many peaches as you desire. Comquats, kiwis, not just. Same thing. God has given us a beautiful garden full of luscious fruit. We can get as big in character as we want to get. And let me tell you, the bigger the calling, the more character is demanded. Demanded. When God has something very, very important, such as Preparing the way for Jesus to come into your life. Preparing the way for Christ to come into your family. Preparing the way for Christ to come into your Christmas. Ah, that seems doubly redundant, doesn't it? That we, ha- we have to invite Christ into his birthday? But we get so much other stuff around, and we've got to remember what the purpose is for this whole thing. But you have to intentionally invite him. Because we can forget. And you want to prepare the way for the most tangible Christmas with his presence you've ever had in your life. Prepare the way. He grew in character. We need to grow in character. Secondly, it says he became strengthened in spirit. Now, when you talk about character, character is your soul. That's where it's produced, down here in the you who you are where you become something different but strengthening in spirit primarily deals with his calling and his ministry so he grew in physical stature he grew in character but he also grew in his understanding of what he was supposed to do and who he was supposed to prepare for his calling became crystalline now it 's wonderful if you 've got parents who can nurture that stuff on the inside and, and help you when you 're young and bring you up in the way you ought to go and By the time you reach the the, the the latter teenage years, you are focused about what the Lord wants you to do and by the time you get that degree that cost all that money, you know exactly where you want to get a job and by the time you 're thirty, you come into it and you stay you 're fulfilling the ultimate purpose that 's wonderful. But only two of us grew up like that. <laughs> and I'm not one of the two. <laughs> Most of us grew up in the regular families where life was not what we wanted it to be. And mom and dad fought or our home was dysfunctional or we didn't have one parent there. Or you name it, abuse, all kinds of issues. And so we got a lot to overcome. And, and we, don't, we have to figure out now that we understand that we're called. And Rick Warren has helped all of America to understand the purpose driven life. Now that we understand what it means to have a reason to be on the planet, we we should be actively searching for our significance. Why am I here? It's good to have all the character, necessary. You gotta grow up, but then you gotta know why has he produced this in my life other than to be like him? There's gotta be a purpose on the planet for which I remain. God, help me to know what that is. And Paul said it like this in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of his calling you. In other words, why in the world has God put you on the planet? He's got a hope for you. He's got a reason that he placed you here at this time and in this spot. You got to know what that is. It was easy for John because mom and dad had some prophetic things. The Lord spoke to them, miraculous stuff, all around the house with us. We didn't grow up with that, but that's why it's important that you come here. That's why it's important you come to church. You may be able to find it in a lot of different places, and I hope others can find it better. uh, People come here, and I love what they say about us. I have to be very careful with what I'm about to say. I love what they say. Pastor, I can't find no place like this. This place is amazing. What do you do here? It's just so different. Everybody's so real. I love that. And, and I, everything on the inside just says, I wish we were the worst. Oh, I'm not trying to reduce our quality. I'm trying to increase our excellence. I just wish we were the worst. I wish it was this way and better every place else. That's what I wish. So when I say you ought to come here, I'm only doing that because I love this. I pour my life into this, and I like it when you show up. But it's not that we're the best. I realize that. I'm not trying to to be elitist in this. I wish we were the worst. And I want the body of Christ to be great, not just grace Covenant. But wherever you find help, get it. Run after it. We don't have time to waste. This world is waiting for the manifestation of who you are. What God wants to do in your life. The world is waiting for the revelation of what God wants to do in your life. That he might be glorified and people can understand why they have been placed on the planet. Show up. Don't miss. Don't hit the snooze 16 times. With us, it's hard to miss church because if you come at the 9 and you miss it one Sunday, you can hit the 1015. If you keep going, you can get the 1130. And if you miss a 1245, something's more wrong with you (laughs) than I can say. Calling, you have to pursue it, and we are here to help you understand what it is. We believe in prophetic words. When I preach from this pulpit, it's not about just making you smarter. It's about imparting something to you that makes you want to seek Him more in every area of your life, so that all the questions you've got, most of them get answered. Some of them will never be answered. But at least the ones with respect to your calling and purpose, they can get some answers. You need to be around the people of God on a regular basis. You need to drink from the right fountain so that you are inspired on a regular basis. So that you are not not just inspired, prodded to do something great that when you walk out of here you are consumed with Lord I know I'm supposed to get up and go to work tomorrow but I want to be different when I do it I I know I'm supposed to get up and feed these kids tomorrow but I want to be different when I do it Lord I know I'm supposed to go to the men's meeting on Saturday because I want to come in there ready to minister Rather than just ready to receive. I want to give. I don't want to be a a vacuum that sucks up everything. I want to be a a conduit, a blessing to people. Lord, help me. If If we can do that, and that is our intent. I can't fully equip you from the pulpit. I can't fully disciple you from the pulpit. But I can put a hunger on the inside of you that will not be satisfied until you fulfill it. Until you eat the right diet. That's why you need to be in this environment. He grew in his calling, and he grew in his ministry. He did stuff John did that, that really hadn't been done before. I mean, yes, he was a prophet, and he dressed like Elijah. And, and, and must, much of his demeanor was a lot like Elijah. He ate funny stuff, although it was clean, meaning kosher, locusts. From what I understand, they're pretty good. I'm not interested in confirming that. And he dressed kind of like him Had this camel hair thing going on with a leather belt And Elijah was the same way And John was kind of superimposing himself Because the situation was kind of the same And that they had an ungodly king And he was hoping to bring revival to the nation But he did some things that nobody had ever done before Baptism was a fairly new concept It's old hat for us But it was a new concept now, there were washings in the Old Testament. They had a laver <coughs> that, that was right before the, the tabernacle and the temple. And the priest, because sacrifice was a very messy endeavor. You'd cut animals and get blood all over you. You had to wash before you went into the holy place, into the sanctuary and, and the, the temple. And so they had a laver there at which you could wash. And there were traditionally some places... In, in the Hebraic culture where you could actually kind of renew your life by, by having somebody take you underwater and bring you back up. Now there, there was no, no sense of real connection spiritually as it was more traditionally. And so John just decided, I'm going to bring this out for the populace. We're going to have baptisms at the River Jordan. Nobody had ever done that before. And then he was calling people out to repent. Saying, you can't come get dunked unless you turn to God. Oh, he was amazing. And not just calling average folk. He was t- telling the religious leaders when they came up, said, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Why are you here? You just want to be seen by all the populace because you think I'm stealing your sheep? You want to try to gain them back by using me as your credibility? Uh-uh. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Unless you repent and get right, you can't get in this water this was an amazing human being his ministry was refined he knew exactly what he was called to do if there was any if there is any agricultural metaphor we could use for John it would be a plow his ministry plowed up everything for Jesus, all Jesus needed to do was be a sower just go out and sow that seed because John had had torn up the entire ground, he would made the religious people mad and talk to the military and said stop stealing from the average human being don't do that anymore oh he was revolutionary and the people loved him but he realized this my ministry is focused i know what i'm called to do and i'm going to do it in such a way that the one who comes after me doesn't have to he understood something about his calling in ministry he strengthened in spirit and then lastly, <laughs> it says that he lived in the desert until the day of his public appearance. I hate deserts. I hate them. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go on a, on a moment to go and look at the Mojave unless I'm flying over it in, at 35,000 feet. I'm not interested. I went to um, Dubai a year and a half ago. We had an international Every Nation meeting there. Uh, Every Nation is the organization of which our, our church is affiliated. And it was fairly cool in July. It was 114. And they had these little excursions that you could go on where you could take a tour of the desert on these 4 by 4s and then as you went on these 4 by 4s duning, they would also have a little tent over here, and kind of an oasis Uh, and and you could get fed the traditional um, nomadic food of of the Arabian culture and the Dubaian culture, and you would sit there and people would serve you in their traditional garbs, and you'd spend all day out there and everybody on, my, on, on the team, especially Steve Merle, who had done this before, said, Bread is great. I said, I Ain't going. <laughs> I ain't going. I said, I can eat in a really nice restaurant right here in Dubai. Right here. I do not have to go out and sweat. I don't have to do it. I don't like nothing about deserts. And I don't want to go someplace that reminds me of the dry places I've been in a lot. People ask me, Pastor, do, do you ever go see horror movies. I said, no, life is scary enough. I do not, I do not need to be artificially stimulated. <laughs> says he lived in the desert. He didn't just visit. He lived in the desert. But the interesting thing about the desert is that God, after he took the people of Israel out of the Red Sea, the first place they went, was the desert. It says in, 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 in recounting what happened to the Israelites in Psalm 78, verse 12 through 17, it says that God took them into the desert and he opened up stuff to them. See, even though I don't like the desert, it's where I've lived a good part of my ministry. And it's only now that I'm beginning to experience what God wants to do in terms of a promised land in in ministry but for a long time I had to find water when there was none and see the desert although we don't like it it's a place of provision but it requires you to have faith to be provided for it's a place where you get to grow up it's a place where you learn that you are not a baby anymore and that you don't get, you don't get just because you cry, mama to come and give you a bottle. Just because you're not happy, somebody's going to come and provide for you. No, no, no. You've got to believe that the Lord can do stuff even when the circumstances don't look like He will. The wilderness, the desert is a tough spot. But it says in Psalm 78... That in that desert experience, God brought forth water from a rock. That the people were upset. They'd been without water for days. And then the Lord told Moses, go speak to the rock. Now, when the people were upset, they were mad at Moses and mad at God. Complained to both of them and said, surely the Lord has brought us out here to kill us. Exodus 17. Kill us. Let us return to Egypt. At least we had onion soup. (laughs) Like that's appealing any place. Maybe French onion for you. I don't like any of it. (laughs) And it says that God told Moses to smite the rock. Took a staff, hit the rock, and water came out. Now we're not talking about a trickle. We're talking about enough water to feed millions, millions of sheep and cattle and donkeys and people. Millions. So we're talking about a mighty river coming out of this huge rock that Moses struck. And the people rejoiced, but they didn't realize that that provision was there when they came there. And sometimes your lack is that which is to inspire you to believe God for provision out of unusual and impossible places. The desert is a place of provision. It's not a place where you're just supposed to suck it up and endure. It's a place to see God do miracles. And we live in a world of lack. And God brings you into into circumstances that will give you a test tube environment. Where you've got a laboratory so that when you go through your desert experience, you can help somebody else when they go through theirs. These are all moments for you to grow. Says so he lived in the desert. That environment helped him understand something about God's provision for him so that when he went through difficulty, he wouldn't have to focus on his own, he could help other people out of theirs. And at some point, we are going to have to grow. Maturity is this. Not always having to use your faith for your life. Mm -hmm. But now using your faith for a bunch of other people. Mm -hmm. Mm. Secondly, the desert was a place of testing. Testing. Exodus 15. That moment when God brought him out out of the Red Sea into the to the wilderness and to the desert, it says that they went three days without water and they came to a a pool. They came to a spot where they thought they were going to be able to drink, but it was bitter. You know what you feel like when you've been without for a long time and then you get supplied and then you realize that supply wasn't any good. The emotion you feel from feeling like you've just been supplied is elation and then you go from elation to deeper depression when you realize this ain't gonna work i thought this was the lord's provision i thought this was going to lord you (sighs) get and that happens many times in relationships and churches lord i said i do But I'm really disappointed in this man you gave me now. I mean, I thought this was one for me, but I... It got bitter. It got bitter. You thought it was going to be so Lord, I love this church. Woo! One of the finest I've ever been. Wait, they just hurt me. Oh, shoot. I got to find another people. Maybe it's not the church, and maybe it's not the man. Maybe it's not the woman. Maybe it's not the job. Oh, you prayed for that job, didn't you? You were unemployed, just graduated from college, waiting six months, living at home. God gave you a job. Hallelujah. You were shouting, hollering, screaming. A year and a half later, Lord, I like my job. I don't like my job. I need a new job. I'm complaining and all that. Wait a minute. You just prayed for that. You just pray for that and see the remedy for all of your bitter moments that were the provision of God is what Moses did. Moses, when the people came upon this bitter environment and the people complained, they not only complained to Moses for being for three days, for being three days in the wilderness without any water, but they complained to him that when he led them to water, it was bitter. Oh, and they were hot. And Moses looked at him and and then he looked at God and said, God, what do you want me to do? He says, take that stick over there. Take that stick and throw it in the water. And when he did so, the bitter waters became sweet. There's a stick called the cross. So you need to throw the cross in your marriage. Maybe it's not, it's not your husband or your wife. Maybe it's you. You need to throw the cross in your marriage. You need to throw the cross in your business. You need to throw the cross in your circumstances and the bitter environments can become sweet in a minute because you become better. You change. And you'd be surprised what happens when you change. That God begins to do stuff because it's not just about everybody else and circumstances changing around you. When you change, it's amazing how huge mountains now don't look so big anymore. Isn't this something? That when you go... When when you have circumstances outside and then you come into the presence of God and you spend 15, 20, 30 minutes in prayer about that situation, God gets so big because your perspective changes. Now you're in His presence. And those circumstances, though they haven't changed, don't look near as big when you put them up against a big God. Though they haven't changed and neither has God, you have. Throw that cross right in there and you'll feel the redemptive power of God. He was in the desert and living in obscurity. He was out there for a long time and nobody even knew his name all by himself, not having the kind of support. Sometimes when you're in the desert, you do not feel like anybody else is around, though there may be a lot of people praying for you. It's one of those moments where you you have to understand God sometimes will not allow anybody to have your answer except him because he is driving you into his presence and his word. Other people can say, I'm praying for you. I'll be a support. I'm standing with you. But they can't help you like he can. Desert sometimes feels lonely, except the Lord is with you at every moment. And it says and he lived this way until the, the day of his public appearing. There is a moment when God wants to unveil you to the world. I realize that living in obscurity... And living in desert environments, going through difficulty, trials untold. I realize all that's tough, but every bit of it is so that at some point God can reveal you to the world as somebody they don't recognize. You aren't the same human being. I rarely have an opportunity to go back to Kansas City because I don't have anybody who lives there anymore. My mother and father passed a while ago my sister lives in California, my brother in New York, I don't have any relatives in Kansas City but when I go back or get online and, and uh, talk to some folk who went to high school with me and we're all in our 50s and we're all figuring out how to do a grandchildren's stuff except me, they're there, I'm not we're, Cynthia and I are getting happy though, we think you know someday it's going to come soon and we're all doing the AARP evaluation <laughs> moments, you know and, and, and I'm typing on there telling them where my life is and they just say Brett Fuller? <laughs> Brett Fuller yeah somebody ought not be able to recognize you when God brings a public moment to you they ought to, they ought to think twice and say really you? really you? But this is what is most important. This is the character, the ministry, the focus you need to have to prepare for Christ coming into your life. He'll come in unlimited magnitude the more you do this. He will reveal himself to you and everybody else around you the more you do it like John did it. in this Christmas holiday season, do this for the next six weeks. Figure out a way to grow in character. Figure out a way to un- understand what your calling is and do ministry. Find water in your desert places. Don't always be looking for someone to pat you on the back in recognition for what you've done. Live in ignominity. Ain't a bad thing. God recognizes. And then watch the public display. You'll be a different version of you, a different version of you. And God will be glorified as a result. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I love you. I thank you for what you're doing. Please help us in this holiday season to do what we need to do to honor you.